Recovery Elevator, episode 424. I finally said to one of them, I can still be fun. I am still fun. I'm just not going to feel like shit tomorrow. (laughs) I'm not going to make a fool out of myself tonight. I'm going to, you know, like I I can still be fun. I just don't have to be drunk and completely obnoxious. Uh, Like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. (laughs) Yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three, Mix down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. (laughs) I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. There we go. Three, four. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm happy to be here with you today. On today's show, we have Abby. She's 49 from Phoenix, Arizona, and took her last drink on September 24th, 2020. Nice job, Abby. We've got some exciting stuff happening here at RE. There's an amazing group of people about to take off to Costa Rica for nine days of sober travel. I can't wait to see the pictures from y'all's trip. Over Memorial Day weekend, we have an RE conference happening in Atlanta. For members of our online community, Cafe RE, there's going to be events throughout the weekend. But anybody, that's you listeners, can register for the RE live event that's happening on Sunday night. And, of course, we have our annual Bozeman Retreat that's happening this August 9th through 13th. Registration for Atlanta is open right now, and registration for Bozeman opens April 3rd. You can learn more about these and any of our upcoming events over at www.recoveryelevator.com events. And a quick shout out to our chat host over in Cafe RE. You all are doing an amazing job. Thank you for what you do. Before we get started... Here's a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. When you commit to this journey, you commit to ongoing growth and self-discovery. I honestly thought that I could go to therapy just a few times and I would have it all figured out. Little did I know it would take more than that. This month, I'm celebrating 10 years in recovery and surprise, surprise, I'm still learning about myself. We are always evolving and changing and it's important to continue to be curious about who we are and how we move around the world. Having a therapist to process my life has been a constant and a game changer in my journey. Sometimes, the emotions that come with learning new things about ourselves are overwhelming, and it's important to process them with someone. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. If you are thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend giving BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot elevator. All right, let's get into it. The other day I was talking to our community manager, Carrie, and she noticed that my last couple intros had mentioned the endless winter here in North Dakota. And I started laughing because I knew that this one was going to start the same way. We talk about what we know, and this is what I know. Towards the end of last year, my wife and I planned a trip for this past weekend because, again, we've had snow on the ground since the second week in November. We knew that we were going to need a break from this late winter. 
We've done a couple staycations the past few years where we've gone on a day trip or spent the night away within driving distance, but we haven't done a long weekend away, just the two of us, since the spring before COVID. We ended up spending the weekend in Dallas. We had a nice hotel right downtown. We intentionally didn't get a car so we could spend our time exploring what downtown had to offer, and it was a wonderful trip. The museums, the parks, the food, oh man, the food. But best of all, besides the company of my wife, of course, there wasn't a snowflake in sight. We even had the chance to have dinner with a friend that I met in early recovery. I've known her for over five years, and my wife and I even did a Bible study over Zoom with her and her husband a couple years ago. It was a simple night, two couples just hanging out and talking about life. I wouldn't have changed a thing. All right, so what's the point of this? This is a recovery podcast, not my travel blog. On our way home, as my wife and I were recapping the trip, two things really stuck out to me. First was the importance of self-care, and next was the importance of connection. Let's talk about the self-care part first. We needed this trip. It didn't necessarily have to look exactly the way that it did, but we needed it. We were both way past due on taking some real time to take care of ourselves. The past couple years have had this cumulative effect on us, and life was feeling pretty heavy some days. I'm aware that we are very fortunate people. We have a fair amount of security when it comes to our safety and our well-being, but the world is going through it right now, and that's impacted us as well. I think that most people, whether we realize it or not, are pretty resilient. Honestly, if we look at our lives in addiction and how much we were able to endure before we finally got to the point where we started to seek change, that proves it. The point is that we tend to allow things to keep stacking on our plate, we become overwhelmed, and we don't even realize the full load of what we're carrying. That's where we were. This trip was not just a break or an escape from the stresses of life. That's not to say that I don't have those moments that I numb out because I absolutely do, but this trip was more than that. It positioned me in a way that I can come back to my life with a better understanding of my goals and the direction that I want to head. I was able to clear my mind of the stress and the chaos and see where I want to focus my attention. I feel refreshed and ready to keep doing life with the people around me, and I feel like I have a clear view of what will be getting my energy in the immediate future. I say immediate because I also know that life is fluid and things are forever changing. It doesn't have to be jumping on a plane and staying in a different city for a whole weekend. It could have looked like a lot of things. The goal of self-care for me is to help me out with my life, not just put things off. How can we set ourselves up during these times to come back in a positive way? Some other things that I've done for self-care are going on a photo walk, woodworking, yard work, breath work or meditation, reading, spending time with valuable friends, drawing, doing puzzles, journaling, or getting a massage with my buddy Jim on the beach. For me, these things can put me in a place of peace, but I almost always transition to being able to see things in my life a little more clearly. Now one more time, I don't want to poo-poo on a good Netflix, video game, ice cream, or shopping binge. I still do that stuff. I've got a case of Jenny's ice cream in my garage right now. But I also know that those things don't always fill me up the same way. Sometimes it's almost like a miniature version of a hangover when I spend too much time or energy on these things. I want to encourage you to really consider what self-care is and make sure that you're trying to get some time in that actually serves you. I know I mentioned connection too, so stick around after the interview with Abby if you want to hear more about that. You'll notice during her interview how important that is to her too. 
But before we hear from her, let's have a word from Cafe RE. When I decided I wanted to pursue an alcohol-free life, I knew I didn't want to do it alone. I joined Cafe RE almost immediately after I found it, and I was so surprised at the amount of grace, support, and love that was offered to me right away. One of the things I quickly realized was that I had a lot in common with the people in this community, people all over the world with similar feelings and struggles that understood me. Community matters, and lining up with people that have the same goal in mind really helped me stay the course on my journey, especially when I came across bumps on the road. When joining Cafe RE, you get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $24 a month, you get access to the community, you get paired with an accountability partner if you request to be matched, you can attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 10% of monthly fees goes towards our service project, where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to meet you there. Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Abby. Abby, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for agreeing to come on the show. I'm excited. Excited to visit with you. Uh, can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? So my last drink was on September 25th, 2020. And I use that as my sobriety date. Nice job. So that's, hold on. Math is real good for me. Uh, like two and a half. About two and a half years. Yeah. Almost yeah. two and a half years from the recording date. Yes. How are you feeling? I feel great. I feel free. I yeah. like that. Free. Uh, Before we get into it, Abby, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you live, what you do for a living, hobbies, stuff like that? And then most importantly, of course, what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, so I I live in Arizona. I'm 49 years old. Um, I am single. I have a young adult daughter. Uh, She's 20. She's a junior in college nearby. Um, I am self-employed. I do online marketing for other small businesses. And hobbies and fun, Kind of, I kind of feel like that's the same thing. I love to cook. I love to keep my body moving. I like to stay active. So uh, whether that's hiking or I'm training for a half marathon right now, um, I haven't run in a really long time. So that's been a fun challenge. Um, I love to read and I'm actually currently taking a watercolor class just to kind of step outside of my comfort zone and do something a little bit different. Nice. What are you like? What are you painting? Like when I think watercolor, I think landscapes. Is that pretty? Is that typical? Well, I'm trying to figure out how to do that, but I cannot draw. I can't paint trees. So I'm trying to figure that out. But the class is mostly like beginners where we're learning how the color works and how to get the colors to bleed into each other and things like that. Maybe I'll make something fun at some point. But right now I'm just kind of chugging along and trying to figure it out. Well, I can't wait to see where this goes. I'll be I'll be on the lookout for. 
<laughs> I don't know. Right. I'll let you know when I'm ready to share anything publicly. Okay. <laughs> right now, it just hides in my cabinet when I'm done with it. <laughs> safe space, Abby. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's get into it. We're here to talk about your relationship with alcohol, what that progression looked like, and and how we got to where we are today. Yeah. So funny story. I did not quit drinking because I thought I had a problem with alcohol. I thought that what I was doing was normal because it was what I saw in real life. But my sobriety date is in September of 2020. But earlier in 2020, had nothing to do with COVID at all, because I know that that was kind of, you know, right in there. I started to just not feel right. I, I, I didn't feel good. You know, I was what 46 at the time. I thought maybe I was premenopausal or something, but I felt tired all the time. I was taking multiple naps a day. I was puffy. My stomach wasn't right. I just felt really off. And I've always been, or I thought I was always a very healthy person. I was, I've always exercised. I've always eaten really, really well. And I was always very healthy. And I, I, or I thought I was. And I, it was, I ate really well. So I knew that something wasn't right. So I um, saw a functional medicine practitioner um, in early 2020. I think it must have been March or so of 2020, March, April. And she had me take a bunch of tests. So blood tests and urine and all of the fun things. And what we discovered was I was not actually healthy. I had leaky gut. I had some major liver issues. I had lots of food insensitivities and things were just, that were just kind of wreaking havoc on my body. Alcohol being one of them, sugar being another one of them. And so she told me, all right, you're going to have to quit alcohol, quit sugar and quit this list of foods, very healthy foods that I was eating all the time. I'm going to have to, I had to quit those for, um, she said three months to start. And I thought, oh my God, how am I going to do this? I can't drink for three months. The foods were a totally different issue, but just the thought of not drinking for three months really scared me. So um, I made it almost three months. I made it. So I started end of June or so until my birthday, which was in September. During that time away from alcohol, I was able to look back and to think about my behavior prior to this leading up to me just not feeling right. And in September of 2020, I went to Mexico for my birthday. And during that trip, it was hugely eye-opening. I started drinking uh, with the purpose of getting buzzed and getting drunk. And the person who I was with, it was somebody I was dating at the time, who knew I quote unquote didn't drink. Look, the way that he looked at me, it was, it was, I was in shock. He was in shock at how much I was drinking, just trying to get drunk, trying to get some sort of buzz. And I, I didn't have any effect on me. That was super eye opening because that's how I always drank. So I started drinking when I was 14 or 15, was the first time I got really drunk. I was at a New Year's Eve party and had four Coors Lights or Bud Lights, some sort of light beer. Um, I had four of them and was vomiting within maybe an hour or so. And the next morning, I remember my family was having people over uh, for, on New Year's Day. And I remember sitting in the bathroom as my mom's clean, cleaning the bathroom. And, she, and I'm sitting there with my head down. She had no idea that I was drunk the night before until she said, oh, rough night, huh? And I said, I'm never drinking again. And she said, oh, 
oh my God, you were drunk. You drank last night. And I said, I'm never drinking again, pretty much every single time I drank after that. So it was just kind of all through high school, all through college, lots of booze, lots of weed, just, you know, I would say, you know, quote unquote, typical college high school behavior. Um, But I don't know that it was necessarily typical. I put myself in a lot of really scary situations that I was really lucky that nothing happened to me, really lucky that I never got a DUI. Yeah, it was just very scary. So eventually I I met my the person who I I married. We're no longer married, but I met him in uh, 1996. So I was 22 or so. And he had his, he had a family history of some really serious drug issues and smoking weed was a non-negotiable for him, so I quit doing that, but I continued to drink and he and I continued to drink together a lot. We started, you know, we would drink pretty much whatever start and with the wine, you know, we started drinking wine because we thought that was classier. We would get the Orbit Canyon bottles because they were 10 bucks and they were like twice the size of a regular bottle. We started drinking that. This is a completely (laughs) unimportant question. But wasn't there like a huge like as soon as you say Corbett Canyon, wasn't there like a huge ad campaign like in the 90s, maybe about Probably. That's probably because this was the 90s. So that was probably where it came from. I don't know. My parents used to drink it too. So I think we were just trying to be classy. And why would you spend money on a good bottle of wine when you could drink Corbett Canyon for 10 bucks? (laughs) This is going to be my afternoon YouTube search. And I am 100% putting this down in my notes. Ignore that. I'll let you know. I'll get back to you. I'll send you a link when I find whatever that (laughs) sounded like. I feel like they were like shouted Canyon into a Canyon. I don't know. I think maybe you're right. Yes, I think maybe you're right. There's there's something, there's some core memory that is just screaming <laughs> out. So through this, you know, up until, up until this point from, you know, age 14 up until like 1996 when you got married, you know, you said every, like every time you you drank, you made the declaration, this is it, I'm done. I'm just wondering that usage was that, you know, for some people it's just, capricious youth just this is what our peers are doing this is we're just experimenting sometimes there's more motivation whether we're having family problems relationship problems social problems have you have you been able to to correlate it to anything was it was it just being a being a young person was there were there things going on that maybe you were trying to to numb out a little i think at the time i thought that it was this is what we do in our teens and our 20s it was certainly what I did and what my friends were doing and, you know, members of my family were doing. Looking back, though, I know that it was numbing behavior. I know that it was me feeling really socially awkward and not feeling accepted and wanting to be the fun person in the room. My nickname was Fun Abby. <laughs> that was my nickname. Everybody would ask me if we were going out, is Fun Abby coming out tonight? Uh, you know, I mean, because Fun Abby was drunk Abby and she was, you know, and, and I know it was, I was trying to fit in with just society with, you know, everyone. I don't, I did not feel like I fit in at all with anyone. I can, I can just imagine, you know, if maybe the, and this is me projecting my thoughts onto your experience, but like, you know, maybe trying it just to try it, but then if, you know, to have a bit of a reputation or an, an expectation that, Hey, like 
it's fun. You're fun. You're silly when you, when you drink and like a good time to, I don't know if, if the right way to say, to say it is that the choice was taken away from you, but like when you're a kid and people, you know, when you're young and people tell you, Hey, we like it when you do this, like, of course, especially if we feel awkward, like we're, we want to fit in. So if, if there was a question that kind of takes it away, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to perform. Yeah. And even after I quit drinking um, and made it clear to friends that I wasn't going to drink anymore, they still asked me if Fun Abby's coming out and when's when is Fun Abby coming back? And I finally I finally said to one of them, I can still be fun. I am still fun. I'm just not going to feel like shit tomorrow. (laughs) I'm not going to make a fool out of myself tonight. I'm going to, you know, like I I can still be fun. I just don't have to be drunk and completely obnoxious. That's right. That's gosh, that's yeah. God bless our, our friends and the people who don't understand that. But yeah, that's not, if anybody's listening and you have a a friend who's exploring recovery, like don't ask, (laughs) please don't ask them. Hey, when are you going to come get drunk again? Cause that's how I like you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not really friends with those people anymore. (laughs) It's a a great, uh, it can be a great filter for the types of people we want in our lives. Yes. Yes. Hanging out with some of my former drinking buddy friends um, when I was not drinking was very eye-opening for me. It was very uh, clear that our relationship revolved around alcohol and revolved around drinking and all the stupid stuff we would do when we were drinking. So, and it just wasn't fun for me anymore. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not that these, uh, it's not that these people are bad or that the relationships meant nothing, but like, as we grow, we we're looking for different things and it's okay to, to say that it it was fun while it lasted and, and I'm going in a different direction. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, let's, let's get back to 1996, Abby, you're married. You've, uh, you know, you're slinging Corbin Canyon all over the place. <laughs> well, uh, so I actually got married in 98. Okay. Uh, but yeah, like my, my now ex and I spent a lot of time drinking together and eventually I had my daughter. So uh, I had her in 2000, uh, 2002. I had to think for a minute, 2002. And I I didn't drink at all during the pregnancy. After I was pregnant, though, they said that this is probably TMI, but they say that um, drinking beer helps with milk production if you're breastfeeding. So of course, I that was my excuse for, you know, starting to drink again. Um, I, I kept it really low key when she was nursing. But then after that, it really picked up again. And eventually, well, eventually, two years later, um, my ex and I got divorced. It was a really, di- there was, you know, a lot of alcohol involved um, in the two years prior to that. And it was a tough time. I kind of went off the rails um, with drinking and with, I went back to weed. I thought, you know what? I'm not with him anymore. I can do whatever I want. I really went off the rails. In a, in a really bad way and got into a not very healthy relationship with someone where, again, the focus was on the alcohol and the drinking. Eventually, my ex-husband and I decided to try again because that's always a good thing. Neither one of us had done any work. Um, neither both of us were still drinking. We tried again and broke up again in about 2009 or so. And that was a Again, a really dark, difficult time for me. Um, and I struggled like the next 10 to 11 years were really a blur. 
Um, I spent a lot of time struggling in personal relationships, romantic relationships. I'm convinced that alcohol played a part in every breakup (laughs) that I have had. I'm sure that's not as much of a surprise to a lot of people out there, but I mean, it just, none of them were healthy relationships because I hadn't done any work on myself and didn't care to. Alcohol was my buffer when I went on dates. You know, I, it, it just, it was, it was a struggle. So, the, the, you know, and that led me up to 2020 when I had this eye opening moment that I feel like crap all the time. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe some of that's the alcohol. Maybe. I wonder, could it be? <laughs> could it? <laughs> uh, I've got a, a question that uh, it feels deep. I don't know. Tell me if it's too deep or if it's not deep at all. But with these, a series of relationships and, you know, like you said, you feel like alcohol was, was a variable in each of them not working out as, as they ended, what sorts of things were you telling yourself about? about yourself? Like, how was it feeling as, as they were, as they were coming to an end and, and all right, here's another one. Where, where were you in those moments? You want to make me cry, don't you? That's my favorite <laughs> thing happened on the podcast. And yeah, I, I know that that's, I know that's, that's real personal, but. I mean, it was a lot of, a lot of, you know, I'm not worthy. I'm unlovable. I'm too much. I'm not enough. I mean, you name it, like every crap thing that you can think about yourself. I thought about myself. (laughs) I I truly did. There were a couple of relationships in there that were really serious. And one of them, we actually talked about moving in together, getting married, and he had a personal circumstance that came up. And I thought, wow, like I'm never a priority. I'm never, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm not worthy of, of somebody's love and care um, because there's always something that's, that's more important. Oh. And I would drink over it. And I would, I, I mean, I, I literally did. I mean, I became self-employed in 2013 and I was, ex- I was a teacher before that. I spent a lot of time drinking over my students, the administration, everything. And when I started working from home in 2013, I was excited that I could drown myself in drinking every afternoon. And of course, it started at five, and then it started at four, and then at two. And, you know, it just was super unhealthy. So I was, I was using that to deal with emotions from every part of my life. That's hard, Abby. And I just want to say as as someone who knows you, that you do deserve love and that you are a good person. And, and I'm sorry that you felt those things about yourself. And uh, the reason the reason I ask that is, I think I just want to encourage listeners, if you've had like, if you're relating to to what Abby's gone through, or, or you've got your version of it, to to ask yourself those questions, what, what were you thinking about yourself? And, and how have you felt about yourself? And and recognizing some of those untruths and that I think for a lot of us, how we felt about ourselves was a huge catalyst to our relationship with alcohol. Because if I'm having this self-hatred or, or you know, I'm not pleased with how I'm performing in, in whatever arena in my life, if I don't know how to cope with that, alcohol numbs it. And that's it, it can help paint the picture of how we got to where we are. And for for a lot of us, like we just want to know, like, how did like, how did I get here if we find ourselves in this 
tough spot. Like, how in the hell did I get here? And understanding that cycle doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't change anything, but it might be a door to show us a little, to, to show ourselves a little bit of grace as we, as we try to walk into that healing. Yeah. And I mean, to be real, the feelings don't go away when you quit drinking, you know, those thoughts still, you know, work their way into my brain. However, I have more tools now that I can fall back on and because I'm not numbing. So there's more things available to me, including my wits about me, (laughs) which is huge so that I can talk myself back from that a little bit. And yeah, it's just, it doesn't go away, but it, it isn't steeped in all of this anxiety and, you know, everything that, that alcohol lovingly, I say sarcastically (laughs) brings into our lives. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's an excellent point is we, we have tools like we can, we can set the bottle down and we can pick up this (laughs) <laughs> this I don't I don't know why it seems so corny to me in my head. This is a grab your tools. We're gonna use our tools today. But like <laughs> corny or not, like that's what that's what it is. That's what they are. But mm-hmm. we we have those and it's it's an opportunity to feel those things. It doesn't always feel like an opportunity. Sometimes it just sucks, but we get to and it's it's less it's it's you know, hopefully not destructive. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to get to your tools and I do want to ask about how things felt during that that first uh, three month trial, but I just have one more quick question before we go into that was, I know that your daughter is incredibly important to you. And uh, before we get into the recovery part of your story, how was the relationship between the two of you while you were still in this cycle? Good question, because there's so much that was so very fuzzy (laughs) during that time. You know, I mean, she and I have always had a really good relationship. Thankfully, somehow, somehow, she is the one thing that my ex and I did right together because she is such a great kid. And I was a really difficult, really difficult teenager. And so was he. Um, From what I understand, I didn't know him in in our teens, but she was not. And she's, you know, I kind of feel like she grew up faster because... I wasn't always there for her emotionally because my plan as a parent was I wanted to grow an independent kid. I wanted a kid who was independent and I needed her to be independent so that I could do the things that I wanted to do. This sounds, I don't think I've ever said this out loud before. <laughs> yeah. um, but I mean, I, I, looking back, that's how I feel. Um I just I just finished listening to this book and the the title escapes me right now. I'll I'll look it up in just a sec, but it was all about like, you know, how we relate to our kids is it, I mean they take and this has been in multiple books, but you know, it take they take that into adulthood. And I actually brought it up to her the other day that, you know, when I was pregnant with her, I was I was filled with anxiety and I was and the things that I didn't said when she was a kid, I feel like she still carries that today. And she and I had that conversation a little bit just the other day. Um, I think she forgives me, but no, it was, you know, I, I, I wasn't there for her emotionally, you know, but I mean, today we do have a really good relationship and, you know, she 
if you heard my uh, notifications here while we were talking, she was texting me. <laughs> so we do have a great relationship today. But back then, I mean, I feel like I missed so much. Yeah. I feel like I I missed a lot in her youth. There was a time between when my ex and I divorced and we got back together that my ex-husband would not let me see our daughter. There was a time for about six weeks where he knew what I was doing, which was destroying myself and my life. And he would not let me see her. He wouldn't let me have the parenting time. He's in law enforcement. So I was afraid to fight it because I was afraid that I would lose her. So, and that was, you know, I feel a lot of guilt around that. And I have never had that conversation with my daughter before. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad that your phone was was dinging, you know, like, like you said. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm, I'm she great. probably needs money or something. <laughs> well, you know, just asking. <laughs> you know, I've my daughter's uh, a bit younger, but I'm I'm grateful for the the grace that she's shown me and, and my son as well. And it's tough. And that's I think that's I think that's a testament to 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 how far you've come. Like to be like those are hard. Those are really hard conversations to have with your kid and and to open up the opportunity for them to really like stick it, not stick it to us, but to to hold us accountable. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that I think that says a lot about who you are as as a parent and, and as a person to be willing to to give her that space because I I think uh, you know I, I've asked my daughter some of that same stuff and it's it's because we want we want to make sure it it, it really is accountability and and we want to make sure that if if they're dealing with something as a result of of the the way that we raised them or or things that we did create a space that they can that they can walk through and heal so they're not having to deal with the same shit that we've had to de- deal with you know mm-hmm. yeah we've had that conversation like just about alcohol in general and i mean i know that she's had a couple of drinks here and there um i don't think that she's ever been drunk i don't think that she's ever used drugs i I mean i could be wrong she may just not tell me she's definitely not a partier for sure so but we've had conversations about alcohol and family histories on both sides and what that looks like and whether you know i know that there's you know, maybe it's hereditary, maybe it's not. I don't know. I think that we definitely inherit things based on what we see and what we've experienced. And so she and I've had the conversation that, you know, if you're going to drink, it's probably a good idea to like think about it first and to be careful and to be aware of what's going on. And and she recognizes that too. So I've brought it up, she's brought it up. So I'm I'm glad we've been able to have that conversation. Yeah. My daughter is 16 and we like we talk about that too because i mean she's kind of like at that formative age where like people are going to start experimenting and and some people already have and it's oh my gosh it just it terrifies me and i know Mm -hmm. i know like she she knows about my recovery she's been on vacation with you know we've had people from recovery elevator come here and go camping with us like she knows dad's on a podcast she tells her friends but like people know but she's still like she's got to do her thing She's got to live. Yeah. She's got to experiment. And it just scares the shit out of me. And that's <laughs> my goal is to just create that space to where if that's a road that she wants to travel, that she that she does it as smartly and safely as she can. And if she finds herself in trouble, that she knows how to get a hold of me. It's just it gives me anxiety thinking about it. <laughs> uh, yes. All right. We've got uh, we've got a bit of time left. 
let's talk. Uh, so let's go back to let's go back to where we started, Abby, and that I want to hear a little bit more about this first uh, three month stint. So you you know you you saw the specialist, uh, and they told you you've got some stomach issues and some liver issues, and they want you to do this cleanse. So when you when you do this, was it you know you I think you had mentioned that the food was not 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 a huge issue during that first stint was the, how did it feel to not have al- alcohol? Was it, was it easy to do it because it was your health? Did you find yourself with facing challenges? Yeah, it was. So I th- personally, and I think I'm in the, my, I may be in the minority here, but personally COVID helped the fact that I, that I quit, it, you know, in the middle of COVID, it was easy for me to say no to things because we couldn't do things. I live in Arizona. It's really hot here. So, you know, people were doing things outside. I didn't want to be outside. It was 120 degrees, 115 degrees. No, thank you. So it was easy for me to say no to things. And I just didn't go out. I just really um, isolated. My daughter was home with me. We just kind of did our own thing. And honestly, a combination of, you know, no sugar, no alcohol, and then letting go of these foods that were wreaking havoc on my body. And they were like healthy things like broccoli and spinach and stuff like that, that I couldn't eat um, for three months. I felt better within like two days. I, and then weight started coming off and I didn't have a ton of weight to lose, but I, I lost weight right away. And I just, you could just see the change in my skin and in my face and I was less puffy and, I just felt so much better. So that was, that was nice. <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of incentive, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Emotionally, were there, were there any struggles? You know, I think, I think those, those rapid physical, physical symptoms, like the symptoms going away. How would you say that? I don't know. The the positive changes that you felt physically was, was that enough to kind of overcome any sort of stress of of like desire to drink or? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't really, I honestly didn't really feel a desire to drink during that time. So whether, I don't think this is entirely appropriate, but I told my daughter at the very beginning what I was doing and why, and that I wasn't drinking anymore. And so I looked at that. She was my accountability because she was living with me and she was home full time and neither of us were going anywhere doing anything at all. And that was a huge incentive for me to, she was what, 17 at the time. And so maybe she was 18, um, but it was a big incentive to know that she was there, whether she was watching or not, or like keeping tabs or anything like that, which I don't think that she was, but in my head she was. And so I knew that if I tell her this, then I need to stick to it. And I'm not going to hide alcohol. I'm not going to hide things from her. I'm going to stick to it. So that was kind of my, in those first almost three months that I made it, that's kind of the the um, mindset that I took in all of it. Some pretty strong accountability that you had in place. <laughs> well, especially since I knew. So she was going into college, but she was going to stay home for the first year because of COVID. So I knew that eventually, you know, she was going to go and I didn't want her to think, I wanted her to know that I could keep my word, that I could stick to something that I say I'm going to stick to. So that is, that's important. All right. Well, let's, let's talk. I want to hear about like what the last two and a half years have been like 
but this last uh the birthday hoorah down in mexico was there was there anything that that led up to that or was it just it was just i'm i'm going down for my birthday and i'm i'm just going to cut loose yeah i i told my boyfriend at the time it's my birthday and i'm i'm planning to drink on my birthday he was like are you sure he was he drank but i had seen him drink once in the several months that we had been dating and and that was it so I was like, yep, I'm sure I'm going to drink. So I did kind of eye-opening, like, oh, crap, this is how I drink. I'm a, I just binge. I just I drink to get drunk. And yeah, that was very eye-opening for me. Uh, when we got back, I decided, okay... I'm going to I'm going to cool it for now. I'm going to try to make it three months again. Well, two weeks later, um, I had the biggest month that I have ever had in my business. And so on the 25th of September, 2020, I was like, we're going out to dinner, really nice dinner I'm buying and I'm having a beer. I drank one beer. It was an IPA, Lagunitas, I think. And I could not function for the entire weekend. I only had the one and I wanted to have more, but I only had the one. And then the entire weekend, I could not get out of bed. I was, I was, I don't know what, what it was, but that was it. I knew right then I can't do this anymore. You know, the last couple of months of me drinking um, in 2019 and early 2020, I noticed that the alcohol was affecting me differently. And I, and I had really ramped up the drinking and just making really, really bad decisions. And so I knew <laughs> that day I, I'm done. This is it. And that was it. That's weird how like the writing is kind of on the wall. And I think, I think a lot of us, uh, it was, the, it was the same for me that my last six to nine months, like I could just feel it. It was different. Like I felt different and just like the things around me were, were different and I knew as it, it was coming to a head and yeah, I didn't know what that was going to be. But so since that, uh, that day, since the 25th of September in 2020, what did your first like 90 days, six months look like? Did you, did you find support? Did you just continue to do it on your own? Yeah, I started off on my own because, you know, I don't need AA. I don't need anything else, you know, and, and there's such a stigma around AA and any kind of support. A close family member had quit drinking a couple months before me. And so we actually only really talked about it one time. We've only really talked about it one time since, which is kind of interesting. But it was nice to have a close family member in the same boat as me. Um, it felt family get togethers feel much more safe and easier now. Um, Cause we, I feel like we used to feed off of each other in our drinking, but in November, so like a month and a half after the 25th of September, I knew I needed some support. I needed some connection. Isn't connection like the key? Uh, I, feel like <laughs> so I think I've heard that, that once or twice. <laughs> yeah. So I joined RE, I joined Cafe RE. Um, I joined the Quit the Booze course. I met someone in Quit the Booze who lives locally. And she and I went out hiking a couple of times. And from there, I actually started a, a sober hiking meetup group in my area because I wanted to be able to meet more people um, who were sober and in my area. I like the in-person connection. So I love the chats and all of that, but the in-person connection is is key for me. So I I started this hiking group. 
And that kind of morphed into doing some social things together with some of the people in the group. Um, I don't really host hikes there anymore, but I do host some RE-based um, hikes with RE people here locally, which is really nice. Um, and then I've been to a, several of the in-person meetups. So there was an RE meetup in Atlanta in uh, that I went to in May of 2021. And I went back again in 2022, met some really great people um, at both of those did the service project that um, someone hosted in Denver in September of 2022, met more people. I mean, it's just been, oh, and you were there too. <laughs> and a couple of other, you know, there have been a couple of other smaller meetups here and there that have really been key, like meeting people in person, getting to know people in person. And of course, we can't all, you know, not everyone is sober. So um, when I go out with people from my gym or people I know locally, um, socially, I I make sure that everybody knows I don't drink. And I people have asked me some really weird questions. Um, people have, you know, well, are you an alcoholic? Well, why don't you drink? And I tell them, I don't care. I mean, I'm just, yeah, I, I'll tell them whatever they want to know. I'll tell them a ridiculous story. This is exactly why I don't drink. And I'll tell them a story and yeah, I'm, I've just been very vocal. So I am self-employed. I actually have my own podcast and I've had Paul Churchill on my podcast um, right around my seven month mark. I had him on and he shouted me out and I've talked about, you know, recovery and um, all of that, you know, in my business. And I just talk about it because because it's who I am and and why not? And the more I talk about it, the more that holds me accountable for staying the path. Yeah. Yeah, I think recovery is a huge asset, and uh, I give you huge kudos to you for for being in re in recovery out loud, and and I get it. It can feel extremely overwhelming and and scary to think about telling somebody, and and that's not to say that that everybody has to, but uh, I just encourage people like listen to that urge, listen to that little nudge, try it with people that you trust, mm -hmm. and uh, it's cool. It's cool if we get to a space where where we want to do that out loud. And again, that's, this is not to shame anybody who doesn't, but it's, I'm grateful that there's people like you and there've been people like that ahead of us to, to give me the strength to do that, you know, to be able to hear other people's stories that showed me that it was okay and that it was possible. And that's, and that's what I try to do today. And I love all the meetups that you mentioned too. There's, there's something incredibly special about like getting together with a group of people in recovery just i don't know it, it feels like the a lot of that surface level talk kind of dissipates and you can really oh yeah <laughs> get into like some crazy emotional stuff that you wouldn't mm -hmm. that you wouldn't expect to but like in a, in a positive way yeah just because we we care about each other and that can help set the stage for how we how we want our other relationships in our life to be yes yes and going back to the um you know sharing and and talking about recovery, I I definitely do filter how I talk about it based on who I'm talking to. So some people I'll just say, you know, I don't drink, or I don't drink anymore, or you know, or if they ask questions, I kind of filter how I want to respond to that based on the situation and and you know and and who I'm talking to. So yeah, and you know, and we have the uh, we have the ability to set the tone of our recovery. Yes. Mm -hmm. I could. 
I could tell someone, oh yeah, I don't drink because here's like, here's a, a list of the terrible shit that I've done while under the influence. Like I could, yeah, yeah that's going to be a real bummer for everybody that's there, but you know, <laughs> yes. it, we can shed light on like the positives of, of these decisions that we're making without, you know, that's not necessarily like withholding the truth, but it's making it appropriate for the situation that we're in. All right, Abby. So, uh, before we get to rapid fire, you know, you, you've talked about meetups, you've talked about finding connection online. What, what's a, a day in recovery like now with, with two and a half years, around two and a half years, what are you doing today to just to, to maintain? Yeah, well, I go to the Cafe RE chats here and there. I've I've hosted a number of chats. Last year, I set a goal to host 12 chats. I think I, I don't know how many I hosted last year, but I, I'm pretty sure I exceeded that. Um, I'm hoping to do the same this year. That really helps to give back. I go to meetups when I can. Um, I host meetups for, you know, RE hiking here in Arizona. Um, I've got a Marco Polo thread with a couple of RE folks. Gosh, RE is getting lots of shout outs here. Um, <laughs> and I mean, honestly, it, and, you know, I've been going through, um, I've been to AA, I go to meetings occasionally, and I do love the um, RE program, the uh, Women's Way to the 12 Steps that I've been um, and I work with. I'm working one-on-one with somebody from that group also, which is um, really helpful. Um, Other than that, I mean, I work from home. I don't go out. I love my my NA um, beers and my hop water. That's kind of my go-to in the evenings if I feel like I want to, you know, sit down and relax. But it's just about connection. You know, exactly like you said, like connection is key. And there's there's a lot of ways to do it, you know, for I think you and I share a lot of the same tools with leaning heavy into the Cafe RE, Recovery Elevator world. But there's, you know, there's other things out there. I've seen AA, you know, AA is pretty small where I live. But in, you know, if I were to travel 70 miles, they've got a great like young people's AA community. And, you know, AA is doing some great things. If you're not into AA, there's, I mean, there's all sorts of recovery programs. And I think the the theme here is to be open and to try to find the thing that's, that's for you. And it's really what's, it's not the modality that's important. It's that, that you have people and that you're surrounding yourself with people. Yes. Awesome, Abby. Well, we have arrived at the rapid fire round. Cue rapid fire music. All right. Uh, in 30 to 60 <laughs> seconds, I'll ask you to answer these questions. Are you ready? I think so. Okay. Uh, number one, what was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? Uh, boredom. Being bored, being seen as unlikable uh, because Fun Abby's not around anymore. I rebuke that statement. Fun Abby is around. And we <laughs> have her. I think that's a very real fear, Abby. Two, what is a positive that you didn't expect in a life without alcohol? People. All the people that I've met through this journey have been amazing. Amen. Uh, Three, what is your go-to alcohol-free drink? Oh, goodness. Um, I drink iced tea like it's going out of style. I'm not a coffee fan, so it's all about the iced tea starting at like 6 a.m. Tea. Are you a sweetened, unsweetened? No, unsweetened. 
in Sweden. Right? Are you buying iced tea or are you brewing tea and icing it? So this is I'm, I, several things <laughs> in. I'm, I, I love this is very important. I buy the bags of Lipton iced tea, the cheap stuff. I brew like I take four tea bags, fill up a pitcher and brew it that way. And I let it set for like two hours to make it really strong. And that's what I drink all day. I will come back. <laughs> I'm taking note. Uh, what is your plan in sobriety moving forward? Connection. Again, just making sure that I stay connected, um, being of service when I can and continuing to talk about it. I find that most of the time when I talk about it, I have people who ask me questions, meaningful questions, because they are thinking about the journey too. I love that. Uh, five, what is your favorite resource in recovery? It can be a book, a group, a community, a podcast, anything. Am I allowed to say connection again? Sure. <laughs> Our, Cafe RE and just, yeah, staying connected to people in person as much as I can. We're going to beat the piss out of connection. <laughs> it's like it's important or something. Right? <laughs> All right, Abby, and last but certainly not least, what is your favorite? You might need to ditch the booze if line. If you're feeling lost, physically unwell, um, emotionally unwell, and you're ready to live your best life, then you should probably ditch the booze. That's right. Trust yourself. Listen to that. Get rid of that junk. I love it. Abby, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. Uh, it's been awesome to be able to spend a little bit of time with it. With you, I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thank you, sister. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Abby, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. And if you remember the intro, I kind of left you hanging on the connection part of my trip. But was I right about Abby? Connection was huge for her, too. All right, back to Dallas, the dinner with my sister in recovery and our partners. Why was this such a memorable moment? God has put so many amazing people in my life, this friend being one of them. In recovery, I've met some of the best people on the planet. Regardless of their nine to five jobs, I've crossed paths with some amazing teachers of life. It's not about sobriety time, but it's more about honesty, willingness, compassion, grace, and understanding. The friends we had dinner with, we haven't connected with for a while. Life happens, everybody gets busy, and that's okay. But the time together was a refresher course on the type of people that I wanna spend my life with. We lifted each other up, we laughed, we spoke with honesty and passion about what's happening in our lives. My wife and I are going through a transition right now, and without skipping a beat, we were met with so much love and encouragement. I couldn't have asked for more support. At the airport, as we were waiting to fly home, the husband texts the group. He was once again lifting us up and encouraging us. These are my people. These are the types of folks that I want to do life with. I want to encourage you to look for these people in your lives as well. They don't necessarily have to be from the recovery world. You could find them in any of your circles. Look for the people who are living the type of life that you want. Reach out. Find a connection. Lean into those relationships where you can build each other up. I know that it can be uncomfortable to start new friendships, but I've also seen the rewards of it. Take a chance. Something great might happen. We're the only ones that can do this, RE, but we don't have to do it alone. I love you guys.
stop being the authentic you, being truly happy, none of that can happen without the in your life. Don't take my word for it. Take a look at your past. Get clear. Be clear on why you're doing this. And then, go get it. <laughs>